welcome to Continuously Brave, a podcast for women who don't necessarily see themselves as being brave, exploring topics surrounding being brave and living our best lives the only way we know how. I'm your host, Ali Grace Muir, and this is Continuously Brave. Continuously Brave podcast. I nearly forgot to record today's introduction because I have surgery when this is going live. Um, it's just a really minor surgery, so it's not a big deal. But still, I have a lot on my to-do list and things to get done. And so this wasn't very high and it should have been. So I'm really sorry that I nearly forgot to do this. Anyway, welcome back to Continuously Brave. And I'm so excited for episode eight with Rachel from A Step to Simplicity. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I've known Rachel for quite a few years online and it was an absolute delight to get to chat with her about her evolution online and the changes she's made and not just online, but as a person herself and sharing her thoughts and ideas and opinions on so many issues, Instagram and YouTube and, um, self-confidence and eating and just tons of other amazing subjects. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and yeah I'll just let you enjoy the episode. Hi Rachel and welcome to Continuously Brave. I am so freaking excited that you're here. Hello. (laughs) So um, I will just I always do this and tell people how I found other people and how I followed them and met them so I'm going to do it with Rachel. I've been following Rachel, well, I think we were just talking before we started recording, and we think it's about five years that I've been following Rachel for. Um, I connected properly with Rachel in 2014, um, but I'd been following her a bit before that. Um, Rachel actually was the person that I connected to on Twitter and asked about starting the freelance life and about, um, if you're not in the UK, uh, self-employed thing is HMRC, and so I was messaging Rachel for advice and information about that at the time just before I started my business and she was so helpful and delightful and she's just such a lovely person to follow online. I've been following Rachel since she started um, Notes from the City and I followed her evolution ever since and I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) So considering I've already said that you know I started following you from Notes from the City you've done you started out with notes from the city, which was like general lifestyle and fashion stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. And then you changed to full flourish and then a step to simplicity. So shall we talk about your evolution and your flow from that? Sure. So um, when I first, back, back, back in the day, when I first started blogging, I was actually um, vanilla scented. Um, and my like pseudonym or my like pen name um, was vanilla. <laughs> um, I didn't want anyone to know it was me and you know I just used to write about like fashion and stuff like that but then um I think as all bloggers have sort of done they you know start a new blog um after their like um practice run um can't remember what other things I went under so there was Rachel L I think it was Rachel Hart I know there was oh yeah Rachel L as well um at some point <laughs> Vanilla Scented, Vanilla Hart, Rachel L 
um, yeah, notes from the city. Notes from my closet was before notes from the city as well. I changed that when we moved to Leeds, which is a city. Um, yeah, I think I was showing you from a closet as well then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when you're doing lots of like fashion-y stuff. Yeah, more fashion sort of stuff. Um, and then Full Flourish was, it was more so when I started getting into bullet journaling. And that's kind of when my YouTube channel especially kind of, you know, started to really gain traction, I guess. Um, but I think depending on what I was doing at the time, I tried to sort of fit my like handle, my name in with, with what I was doing. Um, so Full Flourish was more about like the flourishes that you would do. Um, with your writing um, and whatnot. Thing is, there are a few people. I went to a couple of um, like bar openings and stuff in town because you do as a if you're on social media, you tend to get invited to things. They're like, oh, so you're a florist? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I think again, that's other reasons why I've changed my name so much because if the if what I intend to get across hasn't quite got um, gone across how I intended, then I would like have a rethink. Um, but I, I really like a sector simplicity at the moment. Um, kind of like the the minimalism aspect of things and the sort of um, slower pace of life um, that I enjoy. I think that kind of goes in well. <laughs> but it, I think it leaves itself open to talking about fashion, talking about um, depression and anxiety, um, you know, and the other things that I'm really interested in as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've gone from... <laughs> about fashion and lifestyle into bullet journaling into minimalism which covers all those aspects really doesn't it yeah yeah what made you make the change from fashion and lifestyle to bullet journaling um so I think at the time um so I found I found out about bullet journaling absolutely blown away by it I love organizing um I love like drawing and things like that so um really interested in that just shared a video just on a whim um really and it got way more views than my other content I was like oh this is great you know got so much great feedback from it um you know a lot of people said my voice is really relaxing <laughs> and things like that so yeah I, it just I really enjoyed it so I started doing it once a month as well as other things um that I was still doing so passion bits and vlogging and things um and then eventually it just was like, well, why don't I just do bullet journaling? Um, so that's kind of what it ended up sort of evolving into, more of an art, um, like bullet journaling channel. Um, it would be an occasional sprinkling of vlog, but, but yeah, that's sort of what it was. In hindsight, I think um, putting yourself into a, a box, a very small niche, maybe isn't always the best for creativity. Um, after a while of, you know, just setting up my bullet journal every month, it definitely felt like I was stifling my creativity. Um, there's only so much you can do um, every month. I mean, I know some people who've been doing it for a very long time and continue to just, you know, churn out all these amazing ideas, but maybe it was how I was feeling mentally at the time, but I just felt like it was becoming a chore. Um, less enjoyment out of it less inspiration um and it, it takes a lot of work I mean you'll know from just creating podcasts how, how long editing takes and you know the actual organize, organization of it. it takes a long time to make a YouTube video um and if you're not enjoying it that's time you could be doing other things like 
reading great books or going out into the world, <laughs> you know, going for a lovely walk or, you know, doing things that really, really do enjoy. So, yeah. And then you took a big break mm-hmm. and then came back as a step for simplicity. Yeah, just on Instagram to start out with. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I'd never go back to YouTube. Um, but I just, the thing with YouTube as well is there's a lot of politics um, around it as well. Like um, who that they, they will um, push in their, um, on like your home screen, you get like recommendations and things like that. There's, there's a lot of politics around who they'll push, who they'll recommend. Um, who they'll monetize and things like that and I just felt like my values don't really match up with with their values um, it's sometimes really surprising who they will recommend you know to people it's like well it's, that's a little bit racist or you know that's a bit um, um, inappropriate for children but yeah they're pushing it to children so like I don't know I just think the platform needs a lot of work um, to be inclusive, to be fair. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a business and they want to make money. So, you know, we as creators are creating this content. And yeah, we're getting paid a little bit of money sometimes when you get to a certain um, amount of, of subscribers and whatnot. Um, but really, we're creating free content for them to make money off of. Um, and they're just, yeah, maybe there needs to be a rival company. Um, you know, and then ethics might start, you know, getting a little bit better. Um, but I do still love YouTube. I still watch a lot of YouTube. Um, I'm a bit of a gaming nerd. I love watching people play games, <laughs> which might be a bit weird, but like city building games and stuff like that. I love it. It's so relaxing. Or My like, husband does. He's, he's a big Destiny player. So we, we will often be sat there. I'll be reading or watching something <laughs> and he'll have it. On his phone, he'll be watching someone tell you or show you how to play Destiny. And I'm just like, yeah, seriously? Okay. No judging, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, not everyone can afford um, to keep buying these new games. But I think it's great to see, you know, what the game's about, whether or not you would want to buy it yourself um, and things like that. So, yeah, lots of, like, still fashion um, YouTube channels and stuff as well. So I still watch it, but I just don't participate um on there anymore um but yeah instagram tends to be my sort of place that i am at the moment um love photography um just recently started posting pictures of myself again felt very unconfident about my body we were chatting before about sort of like diet culture and um things like that and how i felt about um my size my shape my, my own body um it's strange because before I really delved into it all um I was just posting like pictures of my hands and stuff and I was like oh you know my hands are too big for Instagram or you know my arms are too big for Instagram so I shouldn't show them um it's crazy the effect that social media and our society views have have on people um but now I do it and now I know more about it and I've read um, more about it but it just yeah I don't really care anymore I suppose um, you know my arms are out today I know you can't see it because it's a podcast but my arms are out today <laughs> um, yeah so there's lots of pictures of me now and I've sort of gone back to fashion which was a 
it's always been a love of mine. I did it at college, um, studied fashion and art history. Um, so it's always been something I've really loved. Um, but again, we were talking earlier about like how my body's changed over the years. I think that has had an effect on, you know, whether or not I want to show uh, that side of me or whether I want to, you know, focus on because of bullet journaling, just my hands, you know, you can just do it. It could be my pajamas, could be like in a scruffy top knot and no one would know. <laughs> it's literally just my book and my hands. Um, but yeah, more visible now, which I think is is important nowadays. I think we need to see um, diversity in bodies, um, diversity in um, you know people of colour, disabilities, um, hidden illnesses. You know, people need need to see and need to know about these things because you know it's not just all model esque white women. You know, there's a variant of um, different people in the world, and I think we'd all feel so much better about ourselves if we saw um, this variety, the variety of different bodies and people that there are out there. You know, you're not on your own. There are people that are like you, living their life to the full. <laughs> and yeah, so. What does aestheticity mean to you? Um, so when I was first sort of, um, again, looking for names and what I actually wanted to portray with the name, I've always been um, into minimalism. Um, so I think we're looking at 2000 and possibly 2013, somewhere about there, um, I really started noticing the minimalist movement. I mean, let's, let's be real, it's nothing new. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people have been living with, with not a lot of belongings for a long, long time. Um, and I think it was a, a, a couple of men who sort of started the minimalists, um, which you may have heard of, and they sort of, sort of brought it to a, a different audience. So yeah, it's, it's nothing new, but um, I sort of discovered that um, minimalist movement a, a few years ago. Um, and just, I thought it really fit in with me um, and like the way my brain works. Um, not everybody is happy with um, not a lot around them. Um, you know, they, they get a lot of joy out of having objects and whatnot. So it doesn't work for everybody, but I found that it really quietened my mind. I would go into a room and there's no clutter. I can just really relax, um, less to take care of, less to clean. And yeah, so getting into minimalism. So step two, simplicity. Um, I thought of, it was continuing that minimalist sort of vibe that's kind of always been there. Um, but sort of leaving the genre open, I guess to talk about like lifestyle things, fashion things, um, like more sustainable fashion where I can, because obviously I've been a plus size woman, um, options are a little bit more limited, but you know, it all goes hand in hand really with, um, with minimalism, I think, sort of, you know, buying less, consuming less, um, which is better for the planet. Um, and yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I keep going off on a tangent, so I hope so. <laughs> it's all good, don't worry. So how come you had all these amazing names and they've all fit where you were in the time, but you've never gone for your own name to be a brand, to keep it all together and it would all just fall under who you are as a person anyway? Yeah, um, 
I don't know really. I mean, at one point I did have Rachel L, which my, my middle name is Elizabeth. So it was just kind of like a shortened of that. Um, I guess maybe to try and keep an element of privacy. Um, I've found in the past if I see, I don't think there's really anything. Um, I don't think there's truth to oversharing. I don't think it's, that's really a thing. Um, you know, you share what you feel comfortable with, but um, perhaps using that term for this sort of story sort of fits. Um, I found that I was perhaps slightly oversharing, opening myself up to um, being hurt by, you know, negative comments, which I didn't get many, but I think because I'd opened myself up so much um, that the judgment sort of touched a bit of a, a very sensitive nerve. And again, because I struggle with my mental health sometimes, if I'm not in a great place, you can't just, well, I can't just sort of, you know, shrug that off. It, you know, it really goes in and I ruminate over it, I overthink it and it stays with me. So I probably could tell you, um, maybe not word for word, but I could probably tell you um, the negative comments I've had. I could probably recite them, not word for word, but, you know, it's, it's so strange how that, how that happened, isn't it? You know, I've had so much positivity and so much just love um, online really and then you know you remember those those not so nice things um, yeah so I think with the not using my real name sort of yeah sort of a little bit of a veil a little bit of a wall to sort of not hide behind because I'm very open about things but to sort of protect myself a little bit um, so you know the brand isn't me the, I don't even like calling it a brand that feels weird <laughs> um, but the you know the brand is a step to simplicity it's not me if that makes sense yeah no it does you don't just talk about things that affect you you talk about your environment as well don't you yeah yeah okay so we talked about your Full Flourish YouTube channel and that you've currently walked away from it. How hard was it to walk away from it? Um, I think to people looking in, it looks like it was super successful. Um, well, maybe not super successful. <laughs> I use that word a bit too much, but um, perhaps for people looking in, it looked like I was doing great. I was, you know, um, building my following. Um, you know, earning a little bit of money every month from it and um, at, at the time I was being quite consistent um, so I can understand why people would ask that question but for me it, I didn't really feel that way I didn't feel like it was um, a big deal I didn't really realize how many people were watching I didn't really like I knew the numbers I could see them on the screen but it wasn't really computing in my own brain it was like oh okay yeah that's you know a few people um I think comparison is quite a um something that perhaps was making me feel like that as well because obviously some YouTubers have like millions of followers millions of views and I was thinking oh well it's only a thousand views it's not that many people but if those people were stood in front of me or you know that's a lot of people but I don't think you really think about it um, as you're doing it so 
I'm quite a people pleaser. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really like to hear I've upset anyone or I've disappointed anyone. Oh, it feels horrible. Um, so I think that's what kept me going for as long as I did. I've been feeling unhappy for a while with my channel and not really wanting, not really knowing what to do with it or whatnot. But, you know, I kept trudging because for other people, um, which I also don't think you should really do. I think something that as hard work, I guess, as um, as YouTube, a lot of mental work, a lot of um, time and energy. If you're doing it for other people and not doing it for yourself, then that's maybe not um, something you should keep doing. Um, you know, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, yeah, it's supposed to be fun. And if it's not fun, then why are you doing it? Um, so at first it was just going to be, oh, I'll just, you know, have a few weeks off. I think I said, I'm pretty sure I said, I'm going to have a few weeks off. And then those weeks passed and I just didn't have the motivation to do it. Um, I don't think I was in the best mental space either, really. Um, so with my depression, it's not a constant. Um, and I think a lot of people with depression, it's not a, it's not a constant thing. You sort of ebbs and flows. Um, you have great moments. You have moments where you're feeling, you know, a little bit off. And then other times it's, you know, in, in the real um, pits of it. So I don't think I was in a great mental space with it. Um, and yeah, I don't really have an easy answer for it. I just, it wasn't easy to walk away from it. And I did feel like I was disappointing a lot of people. Um, but through a lot of like therapy and reading, I also know that I have to put myself first. Um, and it wasn't serving me in any way anymore. So, yeah, stepping away was what was best for, for my mental health. So stepping away from the channel was easier. It was the people that were subscribed and following that it was hard yeah. to step away from more. Definitely, definitely. Like, I, I sometimes get um, messages now saying, oh, I really miss your channel. I wish you had. Because, to be honest with you, in low moments, I tended to just delete videos. I'd be like, oh, that makes me feel horrible, delete. Um, so there's nothing on my channel at the moment. There's a few that are in privatised that I might one day put back up, but um, at the moment there's nothing. So it's just like sometimes you just want to close that door and be like, no, that's, that's done and dusted. I'm focusing on what I'm focusing on now. Um, yeah, I do. I still get that like little bit of guilt when, when I, I mean, it's lovely to hear that people enjoy your content. Um, but when you hear that people like really miss your content, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, don't really know what to say. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I tried to sort of, you know, justify it with it. I wasn't happy with my channel and blah, blah, blah. Because again, I'm such a people pleaser. Um, putting yourself first is a lot harder than I think. Um, it's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, definitely, for sure. So you walked away from your channel. And you started completely fresh all over again, didn't you? You created a new Instagram account, which is where you are now, as you said. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how did you feel about starting a new Instagram? Oh, it's, it's not a brand new one, actually. It's just, I just changed my handle, um, which I, I think Instagram's the only thing that I've still got my original <laughs> account of. I just changed my handle every now and then. Um, It wasn't probably as hard as you might think. I I 
I'm really a creative person. Um, I used to love drawing, um, took art and drama, um, and then obviously doing fashion is very, you know, artistic um, and history of art. So I love art and architecture and stuff, but that's a different story. <laughs> but uh, I've forgotten what you asked me. How you felt restarting on Instagram under a step of, step of simplicity? Yeah. Um, a little bit nervous. Um, we were talking about this earlier, I sort of put this pressure on myself to be consistent and to, if you say you're going to post, you should post. And, um, you know, all of the, all of the advice you get from the pro bloggers and stuff, um, is to be consistent and upload at certain times of day. Um, you know, so your, your followers know when you're going to post and, um, and stuff like that. And I'd found in the past that that hadn't worked for me. Um, as you know it's really stifling through creativity and the pressure to get a photo done makes me not get a photo done if that makes sense is it like deer in headlights like oh i really need to do this but i can't um so a little bit i was a little bit nervous about it but also ready to go back into something creative um instagram at the moment just seems like the best platform for that because you know well it's free <laughs> um free for me and free for the people that you know want to follow um as well so and it's more of a obviously a photo based um platform i really enjoy stories though actually as well um yeah you're in stories quite often not especially yourself but you know talking through things like yeah you've you've talked through your minimalist minimalist wardrobe when you've you know you're having a seasonal change and you're looking for new things you'll show your wardrobe and how you're doing it and you know behind the scenes of that so you're not necessarily putting yourself in the camera and it's really fun when you get new clothes and you do the try on hauls and stuff as well <laughs> yeah so it's, I do like that element of it I always feel like that's a really good half and half between sort of YouTube um, and the photo based part of Instagram you know you can still have that um, like real time almost interaction with people um, but it's not as hard you don't have to sort of sit down and put your camera out and make sure your mic's there and light it and which to be, to be fair you don't need all of those things you could just use your phone and do YouTube um, you know use what you have um, but again there's that pressure to have all of those things you know I had a big fancy camera and a, um, a mic and lights and all these sorts of stuff it used to take about you know 15 minutes to set it up before you then go into the video so um yeah i just i think instagram gets a lot of hate because of like the algorithm and stuff like that but if you're using it for fun if you're using it to connect with like-minded people i think it's an amazing platform um and i think that's why i really gravitate towards it at the moment because i do have a blog but i tend to just post um when i have something to say like something a bit deeper um than perhaps would fit into a caption um, or fit into a, a talky bit of story. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep the pressure off, um, off it all. So yeah, I think that answered your question. <laughs> That's the thing with Instagram now, isn't it? Sometimes your Instagram posts are like, what do people call them? Micro blog posts. Yeah, yeah. Aren't they? So it's like the kind of cover you having a blog as well now, don't they? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Um, 
again, there's that temptation to feel as though don't post if you have nothing to say. But if it's an image you really love and you want to share it and, you know, maybe don't want to write an essay in the captions, that's okay too. You know, you can, you can share the joy of that image without having to have something really deep, meaningful or, you know, vulnerable to say um, in the captions. So try, try and balance it out. It's not all doom and gloom and depression. It's, you know, right to try and share joy as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so you obviously love... Instagram for its photography and you're enjoying the yeah. video aspect of stories have you thought mm-hmm. about the IGTV aspect of Instagram or is I've never used it myself well? I think if I did want to make something a bit more long form um, then I guess it would be useful um, but I just haven't found something that I need that, that long form um, content for yet I do watch people's um, Instagram, IGTV, um, especially like, you know, like little fashion um, hauls and things, or sometimes people do like mini things of the holidays and stuff, love seeing like travel content <laughs> on Instagram. Um, I don't think I'm going to get a lot of use out of it personally, but I mean, it's a great tool to have if, you know, if you have use for it. Yeah, sure. Because I think that's the thing as well, isn't it? Because you've used your Instagram stories and I was looking on um, your Instagram you've, you've, you, you use the highlight section and you know you store things in there that people can come back to and we look at and I think that's the nice thing about stories that sometimes makes it you know more interesting than the IGTV aspect as well because you're limited to like 10 minutes on IGTV aren't you really and then the Instagram stories well you can have a whole like you can have hundred little slides, can't you, in your Instagram stories as well. And, you know, like when you're talking about your minimalism and you save those bits, it comes useful because it's easy enough to know, oh, well, it was about five slides in, the one that I wanted originally, because you go back to it often enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think as well, yeah, it's like little mini moments. Um, you know collated together like I have a one from when we went to Barcelona um you know that could have just been a 24-hour thing but I want to look back on it so it's in my pocket um and like a bullet journal one and yeah it's like you say um a spring from a wardrobe like turnaround one so yeah no I do I like highlights highlights are good <laughs> yeah I like the highlights as well and I just like to see what people put in their highlights like I've never been to Spain so seeing a Barcelona one was really nice as well and it's just nicer things that people share because I think the thing with stories is it's like it's behind the scenes and it's also like taking on the adventure that you go on as well you might not capture it you might capture it on your phone on the day it happens but you don't necessarily have to share it on stories the day it happens either yeah that's right yeah you can store it up and then uh, like we've been doing um some renovation in our kitchen I have it like already and waiting but it's, it's like when when to post it um, you know, but that all was done about a month or so ago. But it'll still be something that I want to share and add into my like DIY home um like highlight. So <laughs> so yeah, so it's yeah, a really wide range of things that's on um on my Instagram at the moment. <laughs> but it's also that slightly more personal aspect to it, isn't mm. it? Like you can get to know you because as well that you talk on it as well you get to know you as a person because you don't necessarily get that on your um 
on the, just from the picture and stuff. Because sometimes the thing with Instagram is like you're showing what you want to show, yeah. but it's curated, isn't it? Yeah. And you're posting things that make you happy and make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And then the comparonitis can kick in, can't it, as well? Yeah. So when you go on the stories, you see that people are a real person and connect yeah. with them, can't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like in, in stories, I tend not to wear any makeup, you know, how I am at home. Um, usually in my loungewear and just like if I've got something to say, you know, scroll into stories. But I tend not to, it tends to be more curated photos. Like me and Bill will go somewhere um, to take some you know, outfit shops or what have you. Um, and those are the ones I'll post on my actual, like, grid, I guess. If the kids are still calling it that. <laughs> so, with your sets of simplicity and you're going with Instagram, you're making these amazing changes. And you said to yourself, you're coming from behind the camera now, which is so lovely mm-hmm. because that's how you were in the beginning and then you hit disappeared for a little bit and now you're coming back again and you're doing in it you're doing it in a more positive way aren't you mm, trying to yeah um I think being being a plus size woman um and seeing sort of the the damage that I may have done in the past with um like when I've been dieting and things like comparison photos and stuff like that. Um, like knowing now what I know with like how it can affect people's mental health and things, I definitely think about what I put on Instagram. Um, you know, people recovering from eating disorders and stuff, like I try and think about them and make sure that it's not going to be triggering um, and whatnot. And people who are in the midst of, midst of depression, um, just thinking about how they'll feel. Like if I if I get any negative comments now, they just go. Because it's less for me and more for if somebody else who's really struggling sees that, are they gonna think um it's true and that should, you know, just <sighs> Yeah. So it's like having a feeling like I have a responsibility to keep it positive. Um yeah. <laughs> And so you're talking more about being plus size, minimalist, mm. and body confidence. Mm. Has that been scary to do? Um, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I, even at the start of the year, when I wasn't posting pictures of myself, I felt like um, I couldn't show myself because I was too big for Instagram which now I just think is silly. <laughs> um, but I totally get why people would think that because we're told all the time that if you're big, it's wrong. If you're big, you shouldn't be. You should be small. You should shrink yourself down um, to, you know, be more acceptable, to be, you know, beautiful. Um, whereas, you know, you can be beautiful at any size. You can be healthy at any size. Um, and, yeah, putting myself into that kind of position um, where there's, you know, there's potential for a lot of fat phobia um, coming through in the in the comments and stuff. Um, thankfully, it hasn't. That doesn't happen. I mean, if it did, like I said, I would just delete it because I don't want anyone else to see that. Um, but yeah, it was a bit scary. <laughs> I was literally just sat in a coffee shop with a couple of my friends, um, and I felt cute. So I was like. 
can you take a photo of me? Um, and my friend did um, with her fancy phone. <laughs> um, and yeah, just decided I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm not going to let these insecurities stop me from sharing what I love sharing. Because how am I supposed to like share my love for fashion without photos of the clothes being like on me? Um, and posted it and had a great reception. Um, I mean, I don't think you should post things for the gratification of, of comments and things. Um, but it is nice, I guess, you know, to, to have those um, like-minded voices going like, yes, you know, we want to see this, um, go you type thing. Um, so yeah, scary. Um, Thankfully, haven't had any negativity. Had have a lot of weird DMs. Yeah, um, they just get blocked. You know, it's nice and easy. But um, but it's not Tinder. I, I think people get confused. Like Instagram isn't Tinder, so like it's <laughs> on the wrong app. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the only sort of annoying <laughs> about it so far. But no, I'm really enjoying being more visible. I guess again mm. like you said I was in the beginning so what pushed you into the body positivity side um learning about the pitfalls of diet culture I started so I've been a long-term dieter for a lot of years and it's never worked for me um and it's only been, I mean, the body positive movement's been going on for a few years now, and it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, if you take it down to its core of, um, like, highlighting more um, visibility around um, marginalised bodies, so plus size bodies, um, people of colour, disability, um, like, chronic illnesses and things like that. So when you take it down to its core, it's incredible. I mean, it's been twisted a little bit now. Um, it's more of a body confidence sort of thing. But in its original roots, I just think it's been an incredible movement. Um, I've lost my train of thought, sorry. No, that's fine, don't worry. What was the question again? Getting into the body positive movement. Oh yes, so um, I started reading a book by um, the nutritionist, um, Laura Thomas. I think she's Laura Thomas um, PhD on, on Instagram. And it's about intuitive eating. So trusting your own body to tell you when you're hungry and what you want to eat um, and things like that. And sort of going back down to, you know, to basics really. Um, without being told what you should eat, when you should eat, how much you should eat, sort of eating around what your body wants, what feels satisfying um, and whatnot. And the, just, it was really eye-opening to like the pitfalls of diet culture and all of the, the things you get told aren't necessarily true. Um, it got me quite angry actually at first and I think it quite, emotional um about it all when you read it it's very very eye-opening um and i've been living for a long time thinking i need to change change who i am when actually i don't and i can you know eat healthily in a in a way that's good for my body um and move 
as much as it feels good for my body and just just trust learning to trust your body and um, rather than being told um, by outside influences what to do um, and that was I think that was the turning point like learning that my body wasn't wrong that it wasn't wrong to be the size I am and um, it wasn't wrong to be the weight I am you know weight is just a number it doesn't really reflect your overall health um, I think to be honest I think that is more scary than actually showing myself online the sort of the idea that I'm opening myself up to um, you know fat phobic people people who are going out there pretending really to worry about people's health when really it's just fat phobia and what they're saying is not helpful to people's health especially not their mental health um, yeah, if anything, I think I worry about that happening more than anything. <laughs> I've gone off on a tangent again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking how... It's also so interesting, isn't it, really? How we're led to believe one thing and then really it's something else and it's how when we're younger we're more easier to buy into it all aren't we yeah yeah i think it's um it can be passed down through generations so you know um a parent gets a belief and it and it, um, they teach their child that belief as well and um there's been in the book just eat it um there's been studies done even in like war times um around dieting and how it can um make people depressed it can make people overeat it can make people well disordered eating um i will shall we leave a link in the description to the um to the book <laughs> just she has so many resources and like links to so many studies in there as well so you can actually look it up yourself and read it um I think it's a quite a thick book though isn't it yeah it it's a hefty read and parts of it's very difficult to read because you realize how much the diet industry, which is, you know, billion dollar industry, you realise how influential influential they are into how you feel about yourself, about your body, about how you should or shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, she's got links to like actual studies that have been done, um, you know, that suggest that our way of dieting in our culture is more harmful to a lot of people than than good. <coughs> so this has been really like quite eye opening for you for this book, then really, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's, well, there's not just that one. There's other intuitive eating um, books out there. Others are available. Um. But it's the first one I've sort of came across. Um, it was a friend of mine who was just like, have you, um, have you seen this, you know, Laura Thomas person on Instagram? I was like, oh no, I haven't. And it just really spoke to me, um, you know, how if you really fancy a cookie, for instance, you really fancy a biscuit. Um, if you're told you shouldn't have that, you're probably going to eat more than you would if you just, okay, I want a biscuit, I'm going to have a biscuit. So you have a biscuit and you're satisfied. You get told, oh no, don't have that biscuit. Simple, oh, don't have that. 
and then that's when people tend to overeat on those sorts of foods um it's just so interesting the psychology um in it and the fact that we don't trust our bodies anymore and you know you do as a baby you know when you're born you you cry when you're hungry <laughs> you get fed um when you're full you stop you don't want any more and we lose that um intuition um as we get older because we start getting you know these messages of oh you should only have this much um stuff on your plate or you know um only have a certain amount of sleep or no sleep or you know carbs are bad and all this sort of stuff and it gets quite confusing um when really we it's quite simple just to listen listen to your body um i mean i'm not an expert i'm not a doctor i'm just sort of um sharing what i've sort of taken from from reading into these things um so yeah it's been quite eye-opening um liberating as well um yeah and just i think that's helped me get back into fashion as well before i just i wasn't happy in my body because i was told it was wrong to be you know the size the shape i am um but yeah um if you really look for it um there's so many especially on instagram there's so many accounts of women of all shapes um all sizes just living living their lives traveling in bikinis you know just just being um living their life to the full and not worrying about what society thinks of them um which is great which is great so many topics I want to take out of that. Like, obviously, one of them is like, you didn't go on holiday at one point. You were saying because of your fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, part, well, it's strange because uh, up until recently, I didn't know that that was affecting my mental health. Um, because it's so ingrained into our society that you know, if if you've got some extra weight, you go on a diet. But it's you know that's what we get told um and i didn't quite realize how being unhappy in my own body was really affecting my mental health and um contributing to depression anxiety um i i tend to realize quite fast now when i'm going into a low moment because um I'll sort of pull away from people um I'll say no to going out um and being with friends um I start not really taking care of myself um as well as like um other symptoms like feeling more lethargic and um you know physically um aching sometimes and things like that just the I can just tell um now when I'm when I'm going into a a low moment um but yeah didn't go when we went to Barcelona last year I didn't take it um any somewhere with me so you know I was still in that mindset that my body shouldn't be on show um it was so warm as well and I really wish I'd just worn little you know floaty summer dresses um and I had like my arms covered and you know most of my legs covered and just I was boiling <laughs> like really really warm and I could have been so much more comfortable um and I was like now if somebody said to me oh I can't get my arms out I'd say you know everybody has 
the right and everybody is worthy of feeling comfortable in what they're wearing, comfortable in whatever situation they are. If it's hot, wear something that's comfortable. You have the right and you you have the right to do that. It doesn't matter what, what size your body is. Um, your comfort comes first. If it's uncomfortable for other people to see you like that, then that's their issue. That's their stuff that they need to work through. Um, you know, fat phobia is not okay. Um, it's not okay to tell people you should cover your arms up. It's warm. I'm going to have my arms out. Um, so, yeah, I really regret missing out on things because of, yes, because of my depression, but I do think that body confidence and self-esteem especially was, was quite an underlying cause of it. Um, I think for some people, depression is situational. Um, so maybe you having a really rough time at work, you're really miserable at work, or a family member is ill. Um, sorry, excuse me, I'm sniffling. Um, so maybe seeking help um, from your doctor and maybe going on a course of um, antidepressants would help you get through that situation. Um, I think with me personally, it's more of a, a chemical um, imbalance. So I'd been on antidepressants for about two and a half years um, and I thought I could maybe come off them. And a year later, I am back, back on them. Um, but I feel so much better for it with that extra help. So I do think it's possibly a, a chemical imbalance rather than a situational thing. Um, but now with the whole um, self-esteem, body confidence thing that's come up, you know, that's, well, I know it's going to improve my mental health even more um, with what I know now. So, you know, who knows in a year's time, might feel like I'm come off them again, but there is no shame to be on, on medication. There's no shame to be on antidepressants. Um, there's no shame to go to, you know, counselling or therapy, or I've been through two courses of um, CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy, which is great because, again, I'm going off on a tangent, but um, often it's not, it's not helpful to talk about why you're depressed but more so about um tackling the behaviors that are keeping you in that cycle um so for me a big one was ruminating which is like overthinking so i'd be watching tv um all of a sudden i don't know the plot line i don't know what's been happening and at the time we had that um i think it was sky so we could like you know um rewind it and i found like 20 minutes had gone by and i was just in my own head, like almost like a blackout, just thinking, thinking, thinking all these about these things, um, usually negative things. Um, it's exhausting <laughs> as well, um, the rumination. Um, and trying to take yourself out of that. If you when you realise you're ruminating, um, sort of asking yourself, can I actually can I actually fix this by, by thinking about it? Or is it something that you know, I have no control over? If it's something that you can maybe fix, maybe write it down rather than it being in your head. Um, excuse me, again. Um, but if it's something you can't fix, then try and do something else. Um, it could be as simple as counting how many flats there are in your blind or looking outside and seeing if you can count how many clouds there are but something that takes you out of that, that space 
um, so you don't slip into the rumination again of the negative thought um, pattern. And that was a great behavioral um, technique that I, was, that I was taught in therapy. Um, yeah, I've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> but you've not only just had depression though as well, have you? You've had anxiety as well. Yeah, I think um, last time I went to the doctors actually, they were saying that they're now treating anxiety and depression similarly, that it, they go like hand in hand. Um, but yeah, I think when we first moved into this flat um, five years ago, it was about eight weeks before I went outside. Um, it, looking back, I just, I don't really, I can't see why I thought there was a danger, but I was worried about going outside. I was worried about being abducted. I was worried about all these things. Um, and I look back now and I think I don't really understand why I was worried, but if you're in that mental space where you're, you are worried about things um, and then thinking about them, thinking about them, thinking about them, building them up into things that, yeah, it makes you very, very anxious as well. Um, but that's actually when I started, um, when I eventually went to the doctors. I'd been to the doctors a few times, um, like I used to live in York, um, and then my hometown, the doctor was useless there, sadly. Um, it took me to moving to Leeds to actually speak to a doctor who was very open to the fact that I had depression. It wasn't just something I needed to, um, you know, I didn't just need some time off work or, you know, anything like that. It was something that I maybe needed extra help for, possibly medication. Um, but that was around the same sort of time. Um, I think I realised I couldn't do it by myself which I think that's something else that's quite um, stigmatised around it. Like, it's not your fault if you have depression. It's not your fault if you have anxiety. You haven't done anything wrong to, to feel that way. Um, but I know from personal experience, I felt like I'd done something. What have I done to make myself feel? I must be weak. I must just, you know, not be as strong as other people. Um, when in reality, it wasn't my fault. It was something that was happening to me, um, not because of me. And yeah, I think when I, when I felt like it was my fault, I thought I could get out of it, I could fix it myself, or I must have done it to myself so I can, you know, I can fix it myself. But no, I couldn't. Um, I did need that extra help from, from a medical professional. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't, definitely don't regret it. I regret taking it taking so long, but I don't think it's something you can rush. I don't think it's like taking a horse to water, you can't make it drink. So like say for instance if you have a family member who um you think might be depressed or they might think they're depressed, being there for them doesn't mean pushing them into going to the doctors. Um, you know, they've got to do it because they want to do it. Um, yeah, just trying to be as patient and loving as you can um, without making them feel worse, if that makes sense. So, yeah, if you've been told you should go to the doctors, you should do this, you should do that, it, it doesn't really help. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> 
But you've been suffering with depression and anxiety for a really long time, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I think possibly even longer than I think. Um, I was always a sensitive child, or I was told I was a sensitive child. Um, you know, I'd get emotional about things, or um, I remember once in primary school, like this is going back a very long time, um, I had a, a group of friends, and, and we all went into the the lunchroom, <laughs> and then um, I didn't get to sit with them, and I was sat with all these like older kids, and I felt really like... Um, felt really awkward and felt really sort of oh everybody's older than me oh my god so I did I did a little cry which you know for a primary school child I don't think that's unusual um but I remember the the headmaster actually um walking in and saying why are you crying um you know what's wrong with you you've just sat on a table and you know being very harsh about it so then I felt like my emotions were wrong I shouldn't be um you know, upset or feel strange about sitting with strangers. Um, so I think I always felt like my sad feelings were wrong and I should try not to feel sad, I should try and hide them because I was told they were, I was told they were wrong or that they were attention seeking or um, yeah, just had a very bad experience with showing my emotions as a child. Um, that I tried to keep them, tried to keep them hidden, which I think is one of the worst things you can do um, when you're depressed is to just keep acting like everything is fine. It's it's exhausting, um, but I understand it's very difficult to to be honest about it and to actually share, especially with your loved ones. You don't want to be a burden. You don't want to feel like they're having to put up with you or they're having to, you know, it's extra stress on them. You don't want to do that to them because you love them. But by sharing with them, you're not being a burden. You're not being, you're not putting extra stress on them. I think not saying anything, they'll notice. They'll notice you've changed. They'll notice a change in your behaviour and your manners. Um, a problem shared is a problem halved. And <laughs> um, the majority of the people who I've told have been really understanding. Um, so, yeah, reach out to people if you're feeling if you're feeling like that, um, and try not to hide it because it will just build up and build up and build up, and it won't get better through keeping it um, pressed down. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for a very long time, probably. Probably since my early teens, I think, but mildly, um, and then it it's gotten worse and worse over the years. But I feel like I've got a like a good understanding of it now. Um, I can what's the word manage? I can manage it very well now. I know I know when a low moment is coming, um, and I've been you know taught things through through the therapy to kind of help with that um, and get myself back on a I don't like, well, the word balance to me, it's a good word, but it also, because there's that negative unbalanced, oh, she's unbalanced, she's unhinged. Um, I always feel a bit weird about using the word balanced, but, but it is a good word. <laughs> it is a good word for describing the situation. Um, feeling balanced with your mental health, so feeling like not 
you know, um, so low or not so high, just kind of, you know, what's normal for you and um, feeling balanced. So, yeah. Mm. Have you found saying to other people, whether it's been um, friends, family or on social media, that you have depression and anxiety, that they've turned around and said, oh, so do I actually? Yeah, a lot. Um, so before I started talking about it, I, I literally just thought it was me. Um, that I just was weak-minded and too emotional and things like that. And the more I speak about it, the more common it is. Um, I read a really great book recently by um, by Matt Haig called um, Notes on a Nervous Planet. And it really resonated with me because he talked about how the human brain has been like this for a very long time. You know, we haven't really evolved much in the last sort of 500,000 years. Um, that was meant to be 500 to 1,000 <laughs> years. Um, rather than 500,000. Um, so yeah, he talks about how our brain hasn't changed, but yet in the last 20 to 30 years, we now have the internet, we now have phones that are glued to our hands all the time. You've got information, information, information um, going into our brains all the time. Um, you know, it's so easy to compare yourself nowadays because you've got the tools to, to look at. You can, you know, be on Instagram comparing yourself, you can be on Facebook even comparing yourself. Or, you know, we haven't just got the, the magazines with the celebrities in anymore. It's all at our fingertips. Um, and how maybe our brains aren't ready for that yet. Um, you know, the information overload, it's, it's, there's no time to be quiet anymore. Um, we tend to always be thinking, thinking, thinking. Um, and that the, the downtime, the relaxation time is sort of really, unless you're sort of like really into self-care, you know, we don't tend to make time to just relax and be. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really great book. Um, lots of like funny little poems as well that he's like made about certain situations and stuff as well. And um, his first book as well was was brilliant. I say his first book, he's got lots of books, but his mental health books especially um, are really great. The first one was Reasons to Stay Alive. Um, and that was all about his like his journey with his depression. Um, he was suicidal um, and sort of how he came out of that. Um, he didn't use um, antidepressants. Um, he has done it just with, you know, not so much by himself, but with, with doctors, but without antidepressants. So it is possible, but as I said before, there's no shame in being um, on antidepressants. There's no shame in needing that um, chemical help. Um, but yeah, very good book. Um, and the fact that he's a man as well, talking about this, I think is huge, because there's still a huge stigma around it being less of a man if you have depression, you know. Oh, man up and you know things like that those sort of phrases that um people tend to use so yeah yeah he was on sarah cox's show a couple of weekends ago um he was talking about his newest kids book release but obviously he also talked about his other books as well he had a stack of his books on the side table and it was really high because obviously he's done the two mental health books and then he's done his big children's books as well um but yes as you said it's 
it's lovely to have a guy talk about mental health and raise awareness yeah. and be honest and say that they've had their own struggles because mm-hmm. it's not something we get as much and it's it's nice how it's becoming more open to talk about now whether it's male or female and how it's finally being given the attention that it deserves because it's something a lot of us suffer with like obviously when my health's been at its worst I've had really really bad bouts of depression and losing my dad as well I've had that was like a whole year of I can't remember anything but the times that I was with my mum to help my mum sort out stuff relating to my dad and it's just like you know it's, it's not something that shouldn't be talked about because it, it affects so many people and it all affects us in the same and different ways as well mm-hmm. yeah when you when you really start well when you talk, start talking about it it's I feel like it's people talk about the the obese epidemic um which I think is a horrible way of um talking about that anyway but I think that mental health really needs to be something that people focus on rather than the you know aesthetics of people's bodies um you know and young people as well you know it's it's getting more and more common in teenagers and and whatnot and it's yeah like the focus should be on that definitely definitely and and men feeling as though they can talk openly about it and it you know just toxic masculinity has a lot to answer for really <laughs> in in that respect so hmm. and you have your lovely partner bill that you've been together with for about 13 years yeah it'll be 13 in um august yeah <laughs> um yeah we had a, a bit of a break in between but i think a lot of couples um go through little tough times um but yeah um he's always been really supportive um when it comes to um my mental health struggles i think for, for anyone who's never had any sort of um contact or i guess experience with mental health it can be quite scary um like in the beginning he didn't know what to do with himself um i think he's the type of person that oh, I really want to fix it, you know, like, let me help you. Um, but with mental health, it's not as easy as just, you know, somebody doing something or somebody saying something. It has to be, has to come from within you and, um, you know, actually doing exercises, um, mental exercises and things to actually to come out of that. Um, but Bill's very much a, what can I do to help? What can I do to fix it? <laughs> type person. So I think that was frustrating for him when, when he couldn't just just fix it um but no he's always been really supportive um and just yeah i really i really appreciate that about him and um, i don't think everybody is not like some people don't believe in depression they don't believe in anxiety um and i mean i wouldn't wish it on anyone honestly i wouldn't um but even if if you know someone who's who's had it like no it, it's real it, it happens um it's an illness and you know just because you can't see it it doesn't mean it's not real um i mean if it was like i broke my leg you can see it there maybe have a cast on it um but when it's your brain 
you can't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And yeah, it, it's just unhelpful when people are like, oh, I don't believe in depression. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> you know, good for you. <laughs> um, but no, Bill's been, been really supportive. And yeah, um, been together for a long time. Um, I think when, when I used to do YouTube, um, when I talked about earlier about when negative comments did actually affect me, <clears throat> it was usually when people were saying, it was only a couple of people, but um, I remember one person had once said, oh, Bill must be so patient to put up with you and your mental health issues. And I just, it really hit me because I mentioned this before, but you do feel like a burden, even though it's not true, you feel like a burden. You feel like you're putting a lot more stress and pressure on your relationship. And hearing that is kind of like a, oh so what I've been thinking is true then and it's oh, I sort of yeah it was very very bad a, a, a little a little bad spiral <laughs> um but normally I try not to let comments sort of get to me and things um but that one I just I couldn't brush off it felt very a very personal attack almost um I mean I told Bill about it and he obviously said that you know there's no truth in it um but I just, sometimes I don't understand why people would say things like that, um, especially to someone, you know, who's open about their mental health issues. Um, but people have their reasons, I guess. People who are hurting tend to hurt other people. Um, it's not an excuse, though. Um, I still think it's wrong. Um, but, but yeah, so... I think that's why another reason why I haven't used my name and stuff and why I sort of still feel as though I need to have that guard up um, you know to not have my relationship sort of judged or anyone say anything like that again because it at the time it really did affect me so yeah. <laughs> well Bill's been lovely and supportive about everything that you've been through and when you did your YouTube, he occasionally popped in and was on your channel as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. And obviously, now you're doing your um, fashion stuff, mm. he's still supportive because you're going back to your roots a little bit as well. Yeah, and he's, oh gosh, he's so funny because when I first started, um, you know, asking him to take photos, he was sort of, you know, really shy about it. If there's other people there, he'd like, you know, put the phone because I just used my phone and um, I sold every all of my fancy stuff when I stopped doing YouTube <laughs> so I'm just using what I have um, but you know put the phone down and you know pretend like you're not doing anything whereas now he's like yeah you know do this different pose and look towards the light and just move your body that way <laughs> he's like really getting into it it's something which can do that's fun for both of us um, which makes a difference you don't want to be like forcing someone to do something they don't like doing <laughs> um, but yeah he's really supportive about it um and i occasionally um he's in my stories and i, I did put a post a post of, of both on my grid the other day because it was just like maybe this will be a subtle please go away men that you know i don't want attention from <laughs> which it didn't really work but you know it's there now <laughs> and 
I suppose you've been on this whole journey with your mental health and your body positivity and Bill's been there the whole way through it all. Has it been nice to have that ongoing support because you've been in such a, a long-term relationship with everything that you've gone through? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, for people who aren't in like long-term relationships and stuff, friends can also be a great support system. I'm lucky to have um, some very understanding friends who... I used to feel as though I had to lie and make up an excuse if I couldn't go out because of my mental health. Like, oh, something just happened or, you know, Oscar's ill or something. I felt as though I had to lie, which isn't me. I hate lying. Um, I find it very uncomfortable. Uh, whereas the friends, the people who are close to me now, I, I can just say I'm having a really bad like time in mental health at the moment, so I won't make it. And they get it, then, you know, they're not going to judge me for it. They're not going to be like, oh, you know, Rachel's cancelled again because of her mental health. You know, they, they totally understand. Um, and I think that that's important to have at least an ear person around you that, that gets it and that isn't going to be negative or judge you about it or take it personally either because it, it's not that I don't want to see them. It's just that, you know... I'm feeling quite down today or you know like sometimes it can be physical symptoms like not being able to get out of bed feeling very achy feeling very lethargic um you know it's not all about feeling sad sometimes it's just feeling foggy almost um but yeah having people around you that that get it is is important um I mean if you are if you feel truly alone I, I would recommend um calling I think Samaritans have a great um, helpline um, I'll find some and I'll I'll pass them on to Ali to put in the in the description um, some helpline you can bring um, Mind is another great um, charity in the UK um, that you can get in touch with if you're feeling you know like you really have no one to, to talk to about it um, but yeah I, I do think it's yeah it's important to not keep it to yourself and to, to have someone that you can talk to about it for sure yeah even if it's not I mentioned earlier sometimes it's not helpful to talk about why you feel like you're depressed um but just to actually say you know I feel really down um I think is 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 important is, is really good just to actually release the fact that you feel you feel that way um even if you're not going to start you know talking about oh this happened and that happened and this was really sad because you know like I said that doesn't always help the situation it can sometimes lead into rumination and um it's a bad habit to get into when you when you have depression um so yeah <laughs> and so we couldn't do this without talking about your little fur baby yeah. <laughs> Oscar yeah he's at the moment he's in bed um like I don't have children myself, um, but from what I know of children, I have them um, for nieces and nephews. <laughs> he's a bit like a toddler. He'll wake up on the morning for a cuddle and some food and then a bit of a play and then he goes off to bed. So at the moment he is in his bed. <laughs> Otherwise he'd be like climbing all over the laptop and, you know, trying to get on me and stuff. So yeah, we've timed it quite well to record this. Um, but yeah, animals just, oh. I'm a big animal lover. I love animals. It's like something to take care of, you know. Um, 
having a responsibility to look after this little little being um, that happens to like you. I mean, is is always hopeful. <laughs> if he didn't like me, I think it'd be a different story. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's really sweet. He's a rescue cat actually um, from the RSPCA, um, and he has to be an indoor cat because he has FIV, um, which is the feline. Oh gosh, I can't quite remember, but. Um, so obviously as humans we have HIV um, and then as cats they have FIV. It's not quite as serious as the human um, as the human one. Um, it can't be passed through um, you know much apart from if they have fights it can be passed through um, like deep um, bite wounds which is probably how we got it um, with him being a boy. <laughs> um, but they can live really long happy lives um, you know, kept indoors nice and safe from any, you know, bacteria and things from other cats, like illnesses from other cats and stuff. So, but yeah, he's often I think to myself, what have I done to deserve such a, a lovely little companion? But then I think about that with all, <laughs> with all animals, like what, what have we done as humans to, you know, deserve these little amazing beings being, you know, sharing this earth with us? It's amazing, I think. <laughs> Has having a fair made a positive impact to your depression and anxiety? I think so. Um, as I touched on before, I think because it's something to look after. Um, you know, he's a little being that needs, you know, food, water, and love, and to be played with. Um, I think it's yeah, um, and that companionship as well. I mean, there's been studies into. Um, you know, just stroking a pet and being, you know, relaxed and comfortable with a pet is really, really good for your mental health. I think that's the same with all pets, I think, even like birds and stuff, like being around animals um, is is really good and really calming. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely with Oscar. <laughs> Evie has just woken up from her nap oh, and her. is now oh, licking the wall like a special <laughs> bunny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not good to lick walls. <laughs> oh, did you find that with your little one? Yes, we got Evie the year after my dad passed. Mm. And, um, I was only working part time, and my husband thought it would be a good companion for me. And she is. She's. She's been great, especially since I became um, self-employed um, mm. in 2015, and then four months into self-employed life, my chronic illness kicked in. Yeah again and when I was in a really really bad mental place as you said taking care of her making sure she was looked after helped make me get out of bed and get me moving in the morning and when I've been really really bad she'll follow me into the bathroom Aww. and you know and then she'll go off and do her own thing because she's a house yeah. rabbit and she's free to roam wherever she wants because she's generally well behaved and then she would um depending how long I'd be in there because I was so ill um, mm. she would then come back in and check on me if I'd been a while and yes yeah, so that that really really helps for me as well so, yeah I do think having a, a pet can really help when you're having mental difficulties it's not the yeah. reason to get a pet but it, you know no, no. Mm. Mm. It, it, it is such a help and like you said you know to get you moving to look after that animal and things like that it's just yeah. Like you say, feel lucky to bless to have such a good pet. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, sometimes it's a little shit, but 
you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I can, you know. <laughs> As I just because previously when we were connecting before we started recording, we are mm. living with our, our in-laws while we're trying to find somewhere to live, and she has uh, decided to try and eat my in-laws' wallpaper on their fireplace, <laughs> and we will be replacing it once we have moved out. But mm. yeah, she just tries to rip the corners and she just does it for attention. She's not interested in the wallpaper. She yeah. looks at you as she as she gets hold of it and picks it up the wall and it's like she sits there and waits for you to pick her up for a cuddle and she's literally doing it to just be attention but it's like yeah. Yeah, if I'm busy doing something. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and so having Oscar is sort of like completing our family in a little bit, isn't it? As well. Yeah, I mean there might be children in the future, there might not be, um, you know, I think again, well, we were talking, was it before we started recording about um, the pressures on women to, you know, not be a housewife, not be a, you know, to get out and work and do this and that and the other. Um, I think there's also a bit of a pressure to be, to be a mother, um, you know, like that's the purpose um, on this earth. And I love children. Um, whether or not we want our own, if, if it's on the table. Um, if the time comes and we want a child, then great. Um, if, if we don't, then also there's, you know, I don't feel like there's much pressure from from each other um, for that. Um, like I said, I've got an, I'm an auntie five times over. There seems to be another one as well on the way. So oh, <laughs> it was very very busy. Um, but what was the question again about Oscar being? Complete, helping complete your family. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, it's lovely just with the two of us, but um, I'm at home a lot. So if, if we didn't have Oscar, I would be alone a lot. Um, I think it's so nice having having him around. Um, so I'm not completely alone. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love being on my own sometimes. Um, you know, it's great just to like, you know... Oh, be on my own I don't have to do anything for two hours if I don't want to <laughs> you know alone time um but then again it's also really lovely to know that there's a little little creature like just wandering around or sleeping in his bed or sleeping at the other side of the um sofa or on my knee usually <laughs> so yeah I do yeah we're like a little little unit we do call him our third child um and like Father's Day and Mother's Day, we tend to get cards from, from him. Oh, hold on. <laughs> so, do you do that with yours, or is it just? <laughs> um, when generally no, but when like, we were trying to conceive and I was in a really bad mental health place, yeah. my husband did do that for a couple of years and oh, things. Because um, yeah, when we were trying to conceive naturally and yeah struggle of it not happening and not being yeah. sure why and obviously my illness can affect my fertility mm -hmm. so we knew that was a possibility and stuff but you still like especially when you get a late period and you're just waiting for that stick to change color and hoping for a positive and then you're getting a negative it can be really difficult and um we started um we technically started IVF in 2017 we've not even got as far as getting the pills handed to us mm. um, and obviously the whole thing we'd be very lucky um to have a child and we'd love it to pieces but we're yeah. getting to that stage now where we're getting older and we're just kind of like if, it, if we're lucky enough to get through the process then 
we're grateful but now we're kind of like oh did we start thinking about other alternative ways do we want to have more fur pets or do we want to adopt or do we want to not have it at all and the whole process can be a bit of a mental a bit like mental torture really Mm -hmm. trying to decide where you're at and deal with it because like you said there's there is this expectation that we as women that is our life goal and for some of us we're at a young age where we think we're going to be a mum and that's the one thing that we want and then we we're resp- we try and be responsible adults and we wait for you know the right time like you know to have a certain income coming in to be living in a certain place closer to family you know to have all these things that you you feel that you've got to tick off on the box before you can start and then that comes up and then you're like well something's fucked that up and yeah yeah but we are here for more than that aren't we and but oh yeah the decisions we all make isn't it yeah 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 I think there's there's so much pressure on women to for so many different things like to, to be a certain way to look a certain way to act a certain way to to want certain things um and I would class myself as a, fe- as a feminist I think the choice is what feminism is all about having the choice to live your life how you want to live it whether that be having a child not having a child being a housewife um being a CEO of a company you know having the choice to live your life how how you want to um outside of any you know, restriction that society might put on you. Um, But I don't think it's quite like that just yet. I think, you know, things are changing, but I think there's still a little bit of residual pressure (laughs) um, on all of us. Um, From women as well. Um, Not just just men saying, you should do this, you should do that. Other women are, you know, quite judgmental on, on other women, which I've never quite understood, but yeah yeah it's it's a lot um i also think with with children you, you get taught obviously at school sex education or well some people don't some people don't have access to sex education um, well for year at my school obviously i presume it's similar everywhere in the uk but you have um a year and then your year is split into two halves and my yeah. half of the year didn't get sex education it was oh. um it was um the person who was supposed to teach it was off sick and that we didn't get it and by the time we did get it we were all the majority of the people were sexually active and some people had already had babies or abortions oh gosh gosh yeah that just goes to show that we do need sex education in in school then really and probably Um, at an earlier age than they realize that you need it at mm, mm, with what we do well for people who have been taught sex education, you sort of, I came away thinking that, okay, if I have sex, you have a baby. Um, but it's not as easy as that. They don't teach you about cycles. They don't teach you about, um, you know, when, when in the month you're going to be fertile or when you're not going to be fertile or anything like that, really. It's actually a lot harder to, to get pregnant for a lot of people than then they tell you that in itself can be really, really stressful. Um, well, I mean, you know yourself, don't you? Yeah. Um, my friend, um, my friend thought that it'd take her a long time to get pregnant, 
mm. and a her and a partner tried um but they weren't really trying if that makes sense mm-hmm. and they fell pregnant straight away and then yeah. it, it's been about four or five years since they've had the first one and they're trying again now and she, now she's upset because she's not falling pregnant straight away yeah. and it's like because that's yeah. not really how it is you know it, it, it can be difficult because of like the way we have to understand our bodies and where we ovulate and how we ovulate just because an app tells us doesn't actually mean that's what's going on with our bodies and our cycles change and different things can change them and set them off and Mm-hmm. Doing doing it with um, you know monitoring it all and everything is stressful in itself, and then the added pressure of like the tests and the mm-hmm. it can always be a bit much, really. Mm-hmm. When it's something that you want and you're not falling pregnant accidentally or without even really trying, it can be yeah. really difficult. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think. I think it's a sign that we as women are still being policed a bit um, about what what we know about our own bodies and what we don't know about our own bodies. Um, I mean, well, the things that are going on in some states in America at the moment are horrendous. Um, the abortion laws and, and things like that. And yeah, just still, it's still a very oppressive world. Um, on women, I don't quite know how we got onto this, this topic, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, it's because we were on about how currently Oscar is completing your family, <laughs> and there's no human babies at the moment. Yeah, not at the moment. But you don't necessarily need a child to complete. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your family yeah. and the expectations, because. Well, as we were saying before, the there can be expectations for you to have a child and then go back to work, or if you're not going back to work, to have a side hustle, yeah. and how that side hustle generally brings some sort of income in, mm-hmm. and that side hustle can be as much as having your own business to having or running a fashion blog or a fashion account on Instagram or something like that that will help you earn, you know, with your um, with brands or PR and stuff like that and yeah when it guys that will stay at home for the, the kids there's no expectation for them to have a side hustle or to have a blog or something like that yeah yeah like we shouldn't have to be wonder woman you know wonder mum uh, super mum um, and also the pressure to um, snap back into your pre-pregnancy body as well is I think is it's awful isn't it yeah really horrible um putting pressure on women who literally just created human life to oh you're gonna have to lose your belly now and all this no 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 just enjoy being a mum enjoy your baby there's enough stress learning how to do everything then you know having to work out more and like start to restrict what you're eating and stuff and yeah yeah I follow an Instagrammer who's um, 10 days postpartum. Mm-hmm. She's in her mid-twenties, so she's still fairly young, really. Mm-hmm. And she's posted today how she's um, happy that she's 10 days postpartum and she's fitted back into her pre-baby jeans. And I'm just like, it's sad that 
that that you're glad about that you know in some aspects that you should be focusing on that you're 10 days just having a baby you should be focusing on your new family on the baby instead of feeling that pressure to share that you're fitted back into your post baby genes Mm -hmm. or pre-baby genes sorry yeah yeah it's it's sad that that pressure is there for women to (sighs) just having to not take up as much space like the pressure to shrink yourself um it's it's when you really think about it when you really look into it it's it's crazy <laughs> you know the the amount of um what's the word oh i can't think of the word um that we put so much self-worth into what size we are um and it just you could be using that energy on so so much more um you know like when you go out with family worrying about what you're eating what you're eating at the at that meal or something you know instead of just enjoying being with your family and that moment um I don't know what the answer is really apart from you know looking into it doing the research educating yourself on on why it's why it's not okay um yeah Yeah, really just a number and that number is different in every bloody shop you go shopping in yeah yeah and um and then it's different if you order clothes from America because then that size is completely different to the UK size and it's yeah. really confusing. And it, it's, um, I don't know about you, if you tried clothes that are meant to be for curvy people, because I know there is a, some departments do a curvy section, but the, de- yeah. the petite section pisses me the fuck off because, <laughs> <laughs> because I generally know what size I am in most clothing stores I can go between three different sizes um but if you put a petite section in that in that store a petite department then I'm not I would you would automatically think right well I can go for the same size a top that I'd wear in that store in the petite but you can't you then have to go two sizes up which is ridiculous and it's just like why are you making it com- so complicated it's petite it should be shorter in length it shouldn't be tinier yeah. and thick yeah I think they only use a certain amount of fit models as well and like women's bodies they're so varying um in in shape like you know in the same size a woman could look a completely different shape so yeah I think when I used to do um, fashion at college, um, I can't remember if you told me this, but apparently in France, um, when when women buy things like off the rack, off in the in the stores, they would take them straight to the tailors because you know to have it fitted for their body. Whereas we don't do that in this country, um, especially when when we're buying fast fashion, um, you don't want that extra expense on top of something that's you know a, re- a reasonable amount um, to pay um, when it's not going to last you. For a long time or you're only going to wear it a couple of times and then um discard it 
to then you know pay that extra to go and have it tailored so yeah I don't know what the answer is you just you know well I buy less because um well I try to <laughs> I try to buy less um just because it's easier for me to, to get dressed um, and everything goes with everything like I've spent quite a long time on creating and um curating a, a capsule wardrobe um but I can totally understand why people would buy you know more um when I look back on um sort of like my my late teens I definitely used to use shopping as a as a bit of a crutch to sort of like numb out how I was feeling um I don't I didn't I don't think I knew I was depressed but I I was um and I used to overspend definitely overspend um but that feeling of getting something new um which doesn't last you get something new it's like yay and then a couple of days later that's gone um yeah yeah um I can understand why people why people shop a lot um it's you know it's not good for the environment it's not good for the earth it's not good for um especially fast fashion it's not good for the people who are making them generally um you know they don't get paid a living wage really um so yeah i think the answer is just to buy buy less even if you're still buying from the fast fashion brands because you know it's expensive to buy um sustainable from sustainable brands and um, from small indie brands that are you know making everything by hand i mean it's great if you can afford it but if you can't then maybe the answer is just to, to buy less again i have no idea how we got onto this subject but that's where we are <laughs> do you think part of it is though that we're older and we can see looking back at what we've done because i do feel like the fast fashion is aimed at a younger generation yeah um sometimes i feel as though we get taught that more is more um and that you know having a fancy car um, having the status of having fun car, just as an example, um, is something to aspire to. So, you know, having lots and lots of clothes um, is something to aspire to. Um, but in my experience, it doesn't really bring joy. It doesn't really, you know, add anything significant to my life. I mean, as I said earlier, some people are happier with lots of things around them. Minimalism doesn't work for everybody. Um, but I found that having less um, in my wardrobe, less around me, um, I mean, we still have a fairly nice car, but it's not a brand new, you know, flashy thing or anything like that. Um, I'm just content with what we have. Um, and with um, struggling with depression and things as well, I tend to berate myself if I haven't bought something from a sustainable brand because I do think about the person who's made it um, but then being a plus size woman it's more difficult to buy um, ethically made and sustainably made clothing so I try not to punish myself or you know be, be mean to myself because of the choices I have um, 
I just try to make the best choices that I can within my my abilities, within my um my scope, within my budget as well. So I think if everybody does what they can rather than aiming to be perfect, it it, it will make a difference. Um I think sometimes it I feel a bit um worried about talking about it because then that invites the oh well you've done this so you can't be um you know you can't be that into sustainability because you have this um which is sort of the wrong attitude to have really because if, if someone's trying then that's great you know um reducing plastic or um reducing the amount of fashion that you buy um you know looking into companies and seeing what initiatives they are doing to um, make sure that the workers get fairly paid and stuff. Um, but yeah, that can really affect your mental health. Everything can affect your mental health, I think. Um, and we live. That's so. where you're kind of overlapping with minimalism and zero waste, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. And there's a great post from Sophie um, from a considered, considered Life, I think she's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put it up. It, I think it went on a blog yesterday and she's okay. talking about the differences between being a minimal, minimalist and being zero zero waste mm-hmm. and how um, a lot of people who are one and want to embrace the other struggle because minimalism is about uh, letting go of the things that, that don't serve us whereas zero waste is about keeping things to find a reason to use it for. Mm-hmm. And I'll link the blog post in the show notes as well. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting because since 2016, I've been embracing minimalism really slowly um, because I've had the surgeries and the illnesses and things. But I found it's worked for me because it's made having my chronic illness easier. Like you say, reducing things um, has made cleaning easier for me and my husband um because obviously when I'm ill and I have a flow my husband takes on those tasks um, we both still have our collections I have book a book collection um as like because I started as a book blogger way back and I studied English literature at university in New York and I love books and things and my husband has a DVD collection because he used to work well he's a massive lover of films but he used to work for HMV so we both still have our collections and I've slowly got him onto reducing his clothing and things like that like he used to have a t-shirt for every day of the year <laughs> when like seriously you spend five days a week in a work t-shirt what do you need a t-shirt for every day of the year yeah yeah <laughs> and it's been it's been challenging and eye-opening the way minimalism works and you can make it work mm. um but I've liked it I have really really liked it for my chronic illness because it as you said it's made things so much easier there's less stress what I pull out of my wardrobe if I'm having a good day or a bad day it's going to fit me no matter what because I've picked things that are serving me and fitting the criteria that I need whereas before I was just buying things that you know I thought looked cute and and I think it helps minimalism helps you to look at what you want out of your life as well like Mm -hmm. you know would you rather spend an extra hour cleaning or would you rather spend like cleaning an extra bedroom that you don't really need yeah yeah or would you rather you know go for that walk with your partner or go out for that meal instead of you know spending that extra thousand pounds on a car that you don't 
when you could just commute or something like that, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, read those books that you know you love. <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on to chat. I've loved it, tangents and all. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we've talked obviously we've talked about the things that I feel that you've been brave doing, you know, changing what you talk about and your channels and being more body body positive and talking about mental health stuff. But what do you feel the bravest thing you've done is? Um, it's weird. I remember listening to one of your other podcasts where like when people think you're being brave doing something, but you don't really feel brave doing it yourself. It's, I think all of it came quite naturally to me. I haven't done anything. I've never forced myself to, to share anything that I didn't want to or anything like that. So it's all been quite a natural thing. So I don't really feel brave for it. Um, yeah, I think that's going to have to be my answer. I don't really feel brave <laughs> for doing it. It's just, you know, me being who I am. So, but maybe that in itself is brave, being, you know, just being who I am. And accepting who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on to Continuously Brave. It's been an absolute delight to have you here and have you talk about issues that we haven't talked about so far on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I was really nervous, but you are so lovely and you just really put me at ease and yeah, I've had a really lovely time. <laughs> so glad. So if any of the people listening want to follow you online, can you tell them where they can find you? So I'm mostly on Instagram, so I'm um, a step to simplicity. Um, I also have a blog, which I'm there occasionally, at step to simplicity.com. And yeah, that's my sort of two main channels really. <laughs> Awesome. Those links will be in the show notes as well, so you can pop on and have a look and follow Rachel. Again, thank you so much for coming on to the show and for talking about everything that you have. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs>